Welcome to Bridging Chicago, a podcast that aims to connect our listeners to Chicago's business, community, cultural, and charity leaders. Brought to you by SATC Solutions L3C. You can connect with us on Instagram or Twitter where our handle is at Bridging Chicago. For more information, including our email, visit us online at satcsolutions.com. Be sure to rate and subscribe to Bridging Chicago on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this podcast. Bridging Chicago. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bridging Chicago podcast. I'm Nathan here alongside Sari Abraham. And Sari is the founder of Financial Asset Protection, and he is a financial consultant and health and life safety specialist. Um, Sari, thank you for joining me this morning. I'm really interested to talk about what you do and why you're passionate about what you do. Hi, Nathan. Thank, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, I, I was researching what you do, and um, you know, I think when we think of financial assets, when we think of uh, financial consultants, rather, we think of people who are interested, obviously, in helping you grow your wealth. And so I think a lot of that time, a lot of times that comes with focusing on that person and what, you know, getting them more assets. But uh, what was really interesting in learning about you was that you seem to be much more concerned about not just that person, but about why they want to do that and, and what's important to them in life. And sort of the purpose behind that seems to be a lot more of a focus for you. Am I right in that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So we are a full service financial services firm. We help clients grow wealth, um, find more liquidity. We help a lot of real estate investors, business owners find more liquidity in their businesses. Uh, but the first step that it starts with is a financial analysis. And this is not so much of a numbers driven thing. It's more of getting to understand the client and where they want to go financially. Like what are their specific goals and needs and wants? And we identify those in the financial analysis. Because in our opinion, there should never be like a should in, in financial planning. Like there is no such thing as one should be at this amount of money in retirement or one should have X amount of dollars in, in income in, in retirement. These are all personal things and people have different preferences. And it's our job to, before we recommend a solution, to understand what their personal preferences are. What are what's their opinion on money, um, on assets, on real estate, on other things that they want to do? We understand them in the financial analysis. This is our first step that we do with all our clients before we make any recommendations or provide any advice on where to go financially. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And I'm I'm really glad that you said that because I think it gives people an understanding of, of what you do. And I kind of want to go back and talk about why you do what you do mm -hmm. uh, to kind of connect this for people. And so why don't you start with sharing with us about where you're from? Did you grow up here in Chicago? Or if you didn't, what brought mm -hmm. you here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I did. I grew up in Chicago. I grew up in a suburb um, right outside of Orland Park. It's uh, Palos Hills and lived there my whole life and then moved to the city um, in 2018. I live in Lincoln Park with my wife and she's a nurse at Loyola Hospital for those of you familiar with the Chicagoland area. Um, and then, yeah, I, we've been living in the city since 2018 and I founded the company uh, Financial Asset Protection in 2019. And it, the way it started was kind of counterintuitive the way the, the company started. So before that, um, in 2016, I was wrapping up my MBA uh, at Keller Graduate School in Chicago. 
And I, while I was doing that, I needed to kind of get a job and have this kind of alongside my, my, my the job alongside the degree. I didn't want to just get an MBA without any real world, real world experience. So I came across an opportunity at Allstate Insurance. And at first I was just like, you know, I, I, I don't really, I'm not that passionate about insurance. I wanted to do mostly project management. I wanted to work for a large company downtown um, doing project management. And it was kind of a, a vague goal or a vague uh, career goal, but that's what I wanted to do. And then as I started to learn more about project management, I was like, you know what? Um, it's not really for me. I'm not really, I'm not really into this kind of work. And then vice versa, when I was working at Allstate, I was like, yeah, I could see myself doing this long term, just listening to people, helping people achieve what they want through you know, risk mitigation and helping them protect their things that are most important to them and, and being just more of a problem solver because that's what, that's in my opinion, that's what insurance is or insurance sales and marketing. It's more of problem solving. It's not so much of just selling insurance. Um, and I like the idea of being a problem solver. And then after that, I transitioned from Allstate into the healthcare field. So I worked with companies like Blue Cross Blue Shield, Humana, Cigna HealthSpring, and I was a Medicare consultant. So I would work with people and help them, people who were like 64, 65 years old, merging off of their employer plans, a lot of union employees, people who worked for the city of Chicago, um, who were merging off of those plans onto their own individual Medicare plans. That was my job for a few years, making, helping them make that transition. And during that time, while they were making that transition, one of my clients asked me if I could help him with life insurance. Or specifically, he said cash value life insurance. He said the cash value grows over time. Eventually, it pays for itself. And I had no idea what he was talking about, but I was like, hey, you know, this sounds pretty cool. It sounds like a good idea. It sounds very valuable for a lot of people, not just Medicare retirees. So I decided to do more research. I told him I would get back to him. And I, I went to Amazon and I just searched for books on life insurance. And I came across this book called The Bank on Yourself Revolution by Pamela Yellen. And this book talks about the strategy called the bank on yourself strategy or the bank on yourself concept. It's also similar to the infinite banking concept. And now I was completely hooked on this concept. I, um, at, at the end of the book, there was a section that said, if you wanted to join as a financial advisor with the, with the organization, and I did, I applied for that part, um, got accepted. And then, not, and then I started the company Financial Asset Protection. We are a bank on yourself kind of authorized group. We're part of the bank on yourself organization. And then we also still do Medicare. So it's kind of like we've joined them together now, financial planning with the Medicare services. And now it's kind of stretched into a whole new world now where it's this concept, the bank on yourself concept is not stuff. It's not just something that, you know, for retirees or people just specifically for retirement, but it could be for anybody who literally makes money and spends money, which is probably everybody in the world. And, and this is why I've been doing a lot of guest podcasting because I want to talk about this concept and why it's so important for a lot of people. And why I actually started my own podcast called Thinking Like a Bank. So that's what brings us all here today and connects us together. Yeah. And that's what we try and do here on the podcast is we try and connect people, uh, business leaders, you know, community leaders here in Chicago with our listeners. And so we always have to make it about that connecting point. And I think that what you were talking about really sort of drives your passion for what you do. But can you... Talk about like when you were young, maybe some of those mm -hmm. things that you might have seen or experienced or or that you that you did that you're like, oh, looking back, I can see how that kind of helped shape me who I am, because all of what you're doing now, you obviously are very passionate about. Um, but as you said before, you you weren't really sure about insurance stuff. And then you ended up mm -hmm. having a passion for that. And so like looking back, can you see where, you know, you as a younger person may have kind of said, oh, yeah, I can see why I would want to do that now. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So, so at a young age, I, I kind of noticed that like for a lot of people, money was um, either a big problem or a big opportunity. So it, it was either the, the entry to opportunity or um, a, a hinder or something that would hinder somebody's goals or, or dreams was money. And I kind of noticed that was like a big problem and noticed that if you had the ability to save more money or, or make more money, you could solve a lot of problems, not all your problems, but you'd be able to solve a lot of problems. So it was kind of this general money problem solver mindset that I had at a young age, maybe like at the age of like 11 or 12 years old, you know, very young, junior high school, where I was like, you know, money is a, such a big deal for a lot of people. And I didn't know much, obviously, you know, 11, 12 year old doesn't know much about money. But I knew that it's, there's some, so, there's some sort of sentimental feeling for a lot of people behind money, and especially in regards to problems in their life. So I think most problems, most relationships, most friendships, most business relationships, most people connections um, are affected by money. And I was like, you know, this is something that, again, I didn't know that there's careers out there like financial consulting. You know, when you're young, you think of careers more like doctor, lawyer, engineer, that's it, like architect, just kind of general goal, general uh, careers. Um, if I knew that there was a career where you could help people make financial decisions and help them um, grow wealth over time, I would have chosen that at a young age. So it took me a while to find this career. I think, you know, maybe it found me. Um, but definitely I enjoy what I'm doing right now as far as it being more from a problem solving standpoint of connecting people to what they want to do financially and definitely congruent with what I thought about money since, you know, the age of 11 or 12 years old. Yeah. I also want to take a step back and, um, make sure you thank your wife for us. We are definitely appreciative of her, uh, services as a nurse. We know that oh, she asked you have been. Uh, crazy for your family and so we we really mm -hmm. appreciate her doing what she does and you supporting her in that and so um, Thank you. we are appreciative of all healthcare workers obviously frontline workers including you know grocery store employees and and everyone who just kind of kept the thread of america going in this last year and mm -hmm. you know, thankfully we're we're looking good better on the horizon so um just want to make sure that you give your give our thanks to her um and it's interesting what you're talking about in, in being a child and kind of thinking about money. I was actually having a conversation with a friend yesterday about this because, you know, kids, I think a lot of times, like when I was young, I thought, okay, you know, your parents just mm -hmm. swipe their card and, you know, they pay for stuff. I didn't kind of make the connection between money having to be on that card and then, you know, the, the store <laughs> that you're shopping at yeah. actually taking that money. And so... I, how do you have you been able to to talk to people about how to kind of have financial conversations with younger people, with kids or with teenagers? Mm -hmm. um, because mm -hmm. I think a lot of people wish that in our younger years that people would have taught us more about what you know how to care for money, how to save, how to spend. Have you been able to have mm -hmm. a conversation like that with people? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I hear that a lot from people where we're, we're talking about like different financial tips and strategies. And people are like, you know, we, we never learned about this in school. You know, we have to take like humanities and art history and all these courses that we'll probably never end up using. But, you know, we don't take any, I, I think in, in my whole life in school, I, I had to take one course. It was like economics or consumer economics. My senior year in high school, just one semester. We learn about writing checks. We learn about how credit card companies work and how they charge interest. And 
um, mortgages, how they briefly work and how you have to save up money in a savings account over time or else you can't just keep spending all your money. That's that's all we kind of learned. But it would be nice to have more of those courses and actually make them like mandatory for, for younger people, maybe at the eight, maybe as young as in junior high school. We were taught like, you know, this is the stock market. This is, you know, a bank account. This is um, what an accountant does. And, and kind of so people don't have to wait until they're like 35 years old to learn how to do these things. <laughs> um, and um, and then, yeah, definitely. I think that there's a big gap in education, financial education at a young age. So, you know, one thing that we always recommend with clients before we work with clients, we recommend like before we jump into any numbers or talk about anything, we jump, we recommend, we, rec- we always send them like a few PDFs, videos, podcast links to kind of get some education on it, just some brief education. So this way, once we get on the phone and we start talking, they have a, they're familiar with what we're referring to, like, you know, the concepts, you know, they're at a basic level. Um, we don't want to kind of just, there has to be that self-education behind it where you're picking up a book and reading it for your financial life rather than somebody making you do it, you know? Yeah. So this is something we recommend for all our clients to do to kind of get, a, get an understanding of what we do. And we actually, like on every show, I always give away a free a book. It's called Becoming Your Own Banker by Nelson Nash. I'm going to give it away for free if people reach out to our website, which I will include at the end of the show. But yeah, definitely, you know, there's a lot of free books, free YouTube videos, content out there, podcasts just like this, that talk about this concept and talk about other financial strategies to help people like find more financial freedom in their life. Yeah. And when, uh, one of the things that we've been learning a lot about on the podcast recently, especially is, um, about finances in the Mm -hmm. under-resourced communities where, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we had a a guest who shared that sometimes the answer is money. They just Mm -hmm. need to have funds in order to provide for families, in order to build wealth, in order to, you know, mm-hmm. provide some stability in their lives. And so uh, for you and maybe your family, what is, uh, how do you kind of approach giving of your resources, giving of your money? Because I'm assuming that's built into this model of, you know, if you want to be able to mm-hmm. give to different organizations, how do you approach that? Um, how do you look at your finances as a resource for other people. Yeah, definitely. So I do try to contribute to charities. Uh, we work with one insurance company called Foresters Financial. It's a not-for-profit organization, and they're also a, a, a charity-based organization. So they actually focus on charities. They focus on funding different groups. So it's really nice working with them because we get to offer that. Like, for example, um, since one of, one of the, the concepts we use involves life insurance, and one thing that's cool about this company is that they give you the ability to, like, let's say, for example, you had a life insurance policy with a $100,000 death benefit or payout. So if something happens to you, your beneficiary gets $100,000. In this situation, uh, Forrester's Financial will add on 1% on top of that, not reducing from about in addition to that, to any charity you want, um, free of charge. So this is just, just these kind of small things that this company involves. Um, it, it's, a, it's nice to offer these to clients and have them a lot of clients are also very you know they're, they're also very focused on charities too some clients even allocate portions and we see this too on the financial planning side they actually allocate portions of their life insurance death benefit to go to charities sometimes 20 25 percent if they're really passionate about certain charities or not-for-profit organization especially if they've been involved in it like they volunteered there they were on the board there so yeah definitely and this is something that i kind of take seriously too uh, I'm a big fan of helping people from different communities, especially especially underserved communities um, in, in, here in Chicago. Even and there's a lot of communities like that here in Chicago, um, and and there's so much that people could do 
even without having to give up so much money or so much time. But yeah, definitely, I do like, I love the idea of, of having a charity base, like even mindset too behind it. It's something too that I want to kind of dive more into on. You, you actually just brought this to my attention because a lot of the t- things I talk about are just all about money and, you know, more on the uh, higher net worth side. But I want to start more focusing on it. And in my podcast, I'm going to actually start, I'm going to have an episode just on this. Um, if you'd like to join me on that episode or, you know, if you have any recommendations. But yeah, I, I do want to definitely take it more, more of serious approach to um, charity-based uh, community networking and, and helping the communities all around the world, not just in Chicago. Yeah, and we'll definitely um, give people ways to connect with you at the end and including your podcast because we, we definitely will check that out. Um, really interested to, to listen to those episodes. But uh, where you talked about earlier about money as a problem solver. Mm-hmm. And I think some people, it's easy to see it both ways. And I'm sure it can go both ways where it, you know, money as a problem solver and then money as a problem maker as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so is there, is there a, a myth that you can bust or is there mm-hmm. um, a lie about money as a resource that people kind of buy into mm-hmm. um, that you're like, no, that's not actually what it is, but uh, mm-hmm. but something that people generally think that is bad about money or bad mm-hmm. about financial planning, that you can kind of have to say, mm-hmm. no, that's not what we're doing here. You know, this is this is different. Yeah, exactly. So I'll, I'll kind of answer this two different ways. So one way, yeah. So when it comes to financial planning and uh, and controlling your money, it's not just about growing it over time, and it's not exclusive for people that have money. That's a that's a huge misconception. Is that financial planning is not exclusive only for people who have money? People who live paycheck to paycheck could still need to actually utilize um, financial planning strategies to be able to keep more money, not just take money from one hand and then give it to the other hand and then spend it. Uh, but rather they can keep it and, and grow it over time. So financial planning, again, is not exclusive only for people with money. It's, it, it's, it's definitely for people, anybody who makes any amount of money could utilize, fin- or actually, you know, I don't like to use this word, but should utilize financial planning uh, to be able to keep, to keep more money. And the other misconception behind money is that it's, money is just a tool. It's just something that we use to get from point A to point B. And as human beings, just having tools is not enough. So that means that if somebody has problems and then you give them money, it does not solve their problems immediately. Behind money, there must be mindset. And what, what that means is that you must understand where money comes from, how it circulates in an economy or in the world, how it grows over time, the concept of interest and how you finance everything you buy, either through other people's money or your money or borrowed money, or leveraged money, somehow, some way, all money is leveraged from one person to another person. You need to understand that um, just having money sitting in a bank account isn't enough in, in, in these times, especially post-COVID times and on times of uncertainty. So there's a lot of minds, a lot of learning behind money. And then take it to a further example, if somebody says, well, yeah, if I had a lot of money right now, all my problems would be solved. Well, partially, they'd partially be solved, but you could also open up a door for new problems. We see this a lot, for example, when people win the lottery, like 80% of people, it's like a ridiculous statistic. It's like 80% of people who win the lottery end up filing for bankruptcy like five years later. They end up in a worse financial situation with 80% of people than than they did before uh, and because they can't handle money. Same thing with um, life insurance proceeds. 
when people inherit a lot of money, especially at a younger age, 80% of those people as well end up like financially damaged in their lives because of they had to, they didn't know what to do with that money. They didn't know how to grow. They just kept spending it all to the point where they actually end up in debt. So um, you need to have a knowledge base behind it and then a knowledge base behind money and then vice versa to that. You see it all the time where people like literally come from nothing and then end up multimillionaires or billionaires because of their understanding of money and their understanding of, the, of themselves. In the world of entrepreneurship and running, running your own business, 80% of that comes from within you. 80% of that is you telling yourself you could do it. You understand this. You could do it. You have the ability to proceed. It's you qualifying yourself, 80% of that. That's also known as self-esteem. The, 20, the other 20% of that is your money that you have, the access to money, where you went to school, where you grew up, who you're connected to, your degrees, licenses, certifications, everything else. But 80% of that, the biggest chunk is you telling yourself you can do something. It's a mindset shift, definitely. And for those looking for financial freedom, it's 80% of it starts from within you and you telling yourself you could accomplish your financial goals. Yeah, and I want to circle back to what you just spoke on because I think that's one of the things that people really struggle with is what if I'm not one of those people that, that came from a family that had money or that mm -hmm. went to the right school or that found the right program or you know did the right internships or whatever? Because obviously... Uh, the world doesn't distribute these things fairly. It, you know, mm -hmm. people who have had this privilege handed down have a much easier time mm -hmm. um, getting a lot of these resources or getting into the better schools or you know getting mm -hmm. the education to do that. And so, because the world doesn't distribute these things evenly, uh, there are people who are coming into this who feel like they're already behind um, mm -hmm. and and they're trying to play catch up. So. For, for those people, for, for people who don't feel like they have been resourced in the past in order to set themselves up as well, what would your message be for them as far as like what, you know, it, I guess it can be daunting to do this. And so what is your message for people who just don't feel like they have, they're even at step one? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so as somebody myself who grew up to an immigrant family, I definitely have that feeling where it's just kind of like you're 100 steps behind people um, as far as career-wise, entrepreneurship, and other aspects of, especially living, living in the United States, for sure. I do have that feeling. And then I would say to people who are in similar shoes, um, your adversity is your advantage. So what is holding you back and what you lack is actually your benefit. Um, and specifically what I'm referring to is you know, if you if you want big things and there's a lot of things, obstacles behind you, those are the reasons why you should accomplish big things in life. Usually, typically, um, you hear a lot of people say, you know, they'd rather hire, you know, immigrants or hire people that grew up in an immigrant family as employees or partner with people like that because they're typically more assertive and more they, there's a there's a higher need for more money. If you grew up to an, uh, a family or that's already wealthy, you grew, lived in a wealthy community the desire to make a lot of money is probably not as significant as somebody who did. So your, your adversity is actually your benefit. It's what's, it's gonna, it's what's gonna help you in your life. It's, gonna, it's, it's your, your at your advantage. It's not your disadvantage. And then the other way to put it too is, I think that from a philosophical standpoint, standpoint all humans are created equal. Everybody at some point in life, um, we start from the same place and we end in the same place. So everybody eventually is equal just people are equal at, are, are, have advantages at different times in different places 
but eventually all humans are created equal. We all have similar minds, similar desires, similar emotions. And I think that people who are very wealthy and who are doing very well in life know that the world doesn't give them anything and they just have methods and tools and systems in place and strategies in place that do not rely on other people giving them things. And it's counterintuitive because you might say, well, yeah, obviously they're not going to rely on anybody else because they're already getting a lot of other help and resources from other people. But the, the reality of it is, is that people who are very wealthy are, are thinking of the world collapsing. They're kind of prepared for that. And it, it actually becomes the opposite. When the world does collapse, they actually end up making more money and they have more resources. So the point is, is that anybody could, you know, everybody should or everybody could understand that there's a lot of control you have from within you and a lot of things that you could take advantage of and take control of. You know, 80% of it starts with your mindset and you telling yourself you could accomplish something. So in my opinion, it makes no sense when I hear people say, you know, I, I can't do much, big, I can't, you know, do really big things because I'm not connected to the right people or do or or I don't have the right resources. And the reality of that is people who have started the largest companies in the world and started the, the best inventions and Apple and Google and all these crazy things that we use on a daily basis, those founders too, and those people didn't start off any better than other people. You know, they started off the same way. They just they hacked their minds from within and told themselves that they could do it. And this is something too that you need to kind of practice over and over again. And I would say that people who have more advantages in life are people who are just, who have been practicing more of their inner mindset as opposed to other people. Because from a standpoint too of um, lacking resources or lacking advantages, you also start to, it starts off from, from an exterior standpoint, and then it sinks into an interior point. For example, you have lack of funding, lack of resources, lack of connections, and then that's not, that's not the problem. The problem is, is that when it sinks further in from an exterior standpoint into an interior mindset part, where now you're telling yourself you can't do certain things because of the lack of advantages. And I think that's the biggest issue that people have is that you never want your environment or your external factors to control your inner mindset. This is when you oppress yourself, and this is when you hold yourself back, and you never want that to happen. Nobody could tell you what to do. You could control anything. You could do anything you want in your life, as long as 80% of as long as it comes from within. 80% of it comes from within your mind, and you telling yourself you need to do it, and then you have to practice every single day and have systems and tools in place where you're controlling your inner mindset and telling yourself, which you want, regardless of how much money you have or where you grew up or who you're related to or who you're connected to. And I'm assuming this is something that you saw in your parents when they came here. It's something that, that really drove them to provide for, for your family. And then you saw this growing up in them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, growing up to immigrant family, it's, it's, it's both sides. There's an advantage and disadvantage, right? So the advantage is that we definitely, um, and not just our family, but other immigrant families too, they want kind of, you know, they really want the American dream. They really want people, their children to do bigger things because of how hard it was to come over here and how much sacrifice and how far people who, and for those of you who don't know, like immigrant families are like, it's like a 30 year gap, you know, like it, it takes like a long time to get back up on your feet and to be able to do things to just to catch up to somebody who's already been in the country for a while. So obviously you have to try your best. You have to do everything much harder. And then I would say the disadvantage too is that immigrant families don't want, you know, their children and from what I've seen really. And again, not to generalize all immigrant families from all countries in the world, but 
Um, also, they will kind of want you to stay on the safer side. And at least my family, they wanted me to kind of just get a really good job, a really good corporate job with benefits, good pay. Um, and that's not something I really, I did that and I liked it, but there's, you know, I, I believe there's more to it. And which is why I started the company, which is why I started my own business. So at first, this is something they didn't want. They didn't want me to go down the path of entrepreneurship because it's a rough patch to go on. And it's like, they don't want to bring that back up now like that, you know, the, all that struggles again. But, uh, but now that I did, it's like, now they're supporting me after I already did it. So, I, and I see this a lot too with my other friends who their parents are also, they don't, immigrants, they don't want them to really uh, be self-employed or own businesses. They want them to work for big American companies with good benefits, good pay, you know, stay on the safer side, stay within the advantage side of, uh, uh, of life. Yeah. And I think that speaks to what you were saying earlier, as far as adversity being a resource and that, mm -hmm. um, you know, what, what drives you is oftentimes is that adversity. We all have some kind of adversity in our lives. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I think a lot of times, whatever people have told you you can't do or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, people have told you that you shouldn't do mm -hmm. kind of drives you to do that thing or to do something mm -hmm. really big. And so I think it's interesting when you, when you talk about, you know, immigrant families mm -hmm. wanting the American dream, I think a mm -hmm. lot of us wonder if the American dream is still a thing. And I think mm -hmm. um, from what I'm hearing from you, it, it is in the way of, getting to be in a place to where you can come to come some come to a place where you can kind of be who you are and mm -hmm. raise your family the way that you you desire and to provide for them in the way that you desire and so i think that one of mm -hmm. the really interesting things there is that it kind of the american dream is really the individual dream now where whatever you want for your family there's a way to make that happen and I think mm -hmm. in the work that you're mm -hmm. doing with the financial end of it, I think it is a very individual thing. Um, but mm -hmm. do you see that also kind of working into society or culture as a whole or like in the area around them? How does that, how do those two things kind of come together where someone who has this individual dream or this American dream ideal, how do they come alongside the people around them or how do they bring people around them to kind of make that happen in the context of the world that we live in now? Yeah. So I would say that you definitely in, in almost all situations, you become like the people you're around you, you know, the way we speak, it's because the, the accents we have, the words we use, the tones we have are because of the people around us. We were able to subconsciously mimic them and speak like them and use the same words as them and have the same accents as them. And the same is true with financial success and entrepreneurship and even coming across all your goals in, in, in life, or accomplishing your goals in life. It's that you want to be around the same people you're at, around the people who you want to be like, you want, to, you want them around you. Because subconsciously, you end up copying those people. You end up doing the same things they do. You say the same things they do. You think like those people. You know, it's like the, you know, it's quote, your, your, your net worth is your network. Um, you always want to put yourself in the same room as people who are kind of ahead of, ahead of you, actually. You want to be the least successful person in the room because 
Um, and then once you become this most successful, then you need to kind of do it all over again, always kind of networking and always being engaged with, with, with people who are highly successful and doing things, um, the things that you want to do, similar career paths to what you want to do, but on a higher level. Like, for example, um, one thing that I've done is I, my goal is to have an international um, financial services firm where I can help people from all over the world grow this grow their wealth accumulate wealth over time solve their money problems that's my goal it's mostly going to be in the u.s and canada but also some countries around around the world too uh, and I, what i'm doing is i'm i'm partnering up i'm constantly staying on the phone i'm doing podcasts with other financial advisors who do similar some some financial advisors you know they have you know three offices one in mexico one in the u.s and one in canada and they have services throughout all of north america that's something that that's somebody who I would want to kind of, you know, be like, you know, just one person I'd like to kind of be like a uh, one way that you could market with people um, besides, you know, podcasting is obviously very nice, you know, and now I know you, Nathan, I know you some of your background. Um, so it, it's cool. Podcasting is nice. Also to um, volunteering, you know, before COVID, it was much easier to volunteer because you can go on like face to face and meet with people. And actually what's crazy is there's this book by uh, uh, Brendan Burchard. It's called, um, I forgot what it's called, Highly Successful Habits. And the book talks about, I think it's what's called, Highly Successful Habits, yeah. And the book talks about um, people who volunteer and network within their communities tend to be um, one of the wealthiest people in the community because they're always kind of, they're, they have, first of all, they have the extra time to volunteer and they are connecting with other people. And volunteering is like a free way to connect with a lot of people. And for those of you who've never volunteered before, you actually end up, volunteer with a lot of people who are very successful the people who are doing a lot of cool things and especially if it's something that you want to kind of shape your entrepreneur your goal or your career goal or your your business goal um have it relevant to or meet people that are already in that area so that way you can kind of uh copy them and and, and the word copy kind of seems a little um uh ingenuine but it, what, what happens is, is that with as being human beings you know back to the philosophy of being human beings, we copy everything we do. Everything we do subconsciously sinks into our subconscious mind and we mimic and copy everything around us. What people say, what people do, what, how people react, how they think. You you come across this, you know, this is how two friends are similar. This is also how if, you know, two friends, you know, one friend, you know, goes to jail, the other one's very likely to go to jail too. And, and then vice versa, if one friend starts, you know, a multi-billion dollar company, the other friend is probably going to start either a multi-million dollar company or a multi-billion dollar company, or is going to do something as successful as that. You know, it's not so much of the competition and, and mimicking somebody, but your mind attracts certain things and certain qualities from other people. And then copies those things even in your hand gestures is copied from other people so that's something that it's pretty cool it's 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 cool and you, you the way you can have it to your advantage is by being around the right people at the right time yeah and on that subject i i kind of want you to share about you know i think one of the things that concerns people is is putting their trust in the wrong people and i think mm -hmm. you know i work at a law firm we know that there are not there are bad lawyers out there. You know, we historically, I'm not a lawyer, but lawyers historically have a reputation for, you know, some of them can be not so on the up and up. But I think all the ones that I know are great, um, and they really want the best for people. They really want to help people. Um, and so, for someone who kind of has the same perception of financial planners who say, okay, your success is built off of my success, so. The more that I make, the better that I do, the more wealth that I build, 
the more wealth that you're building also. And so I think that can concern people as far as, um, you know, are they, in, are they doing this for me or are they doing this for them? And so I guess, how would you respond to that? And then how would you, what advice would you give to people to help them from, you know, being around the wrong people and putting their trust in the wrong people? Well, yeah, from definitely. And I appreciate you mentioning that from a professional standpoint, like for example, if somebody's asking, well, how do I know a lawyer is good? Or how do I know an accountant is good? Or how do I know a financial planner is good? Um, well, one of the things that a lot of professionals, one quality that good professionals have is their curiosity and care for other people. And what that means is that are they asking the right questions? You know, do they, How much do they care? And questions signifies how much somebody cares about you. So imagine, for example, you're meeting somebody and you ask them a question and they just answer it and that's it. And then you ask another question and they just answer again. Obviously, they're not really, they don't really care that much, you know? Um, but now vice versa, if somebody's asking you, you know, question after question in a, in a, in a generous and polite and appropriate, socially appropriate way, they're asking you questions. You're going to be like, wow, this person is actually like genuinely like interested in me. This person actually like they're taking the time to actually get to know me. And the same is true with financial professionals and accountants and lawyers, you know, the ones who just take a step back and then just ask questions. And again, it's socially appropriate questions. It's, it's engaging questions, questions that could help you solve a problem or reach an opportunity. Um, that's one huge quality of, of people who, um, a good sign of, of, of good people where they, they ask questions and they're curious about you and they care about your situation, you know? I've had to hire lawyers before and I completely exclude lawyers who don't care what I'm saying. You know, a lot of lawyers are like that, you know, or a lot of professionals, not just to bash on lawyers, but a lot of professionals like that. They just kind of just don't want to hear the other person talk. They just want to hear themselves talk. They want to control the, the conversation and lead it somewhere. And I just don't, I don't hire those people. I don't work with those people. I want to work with somebody who is going to give an adequate response. Like imagine if you went to a doctor and the doctor was like, Oh, what's, what's wrong? And you say, Oh, I have a headache. And then they just interrupt you and say, take this medication. Like you weren't even done talking yet. You know, how, how is that a suitable, uh, medication? How is that a suitable, um, medical recommendation? If you're not, if you haven't even heard, uh, what the patient was saying. And the same is true with other, other people. Like if you were talking to a lawyer and the lawyer doesn't even want to understand your situation, they just want you to pay them to start doing the work for them. Like, how are they going to solve your problem if they can't even have a, a healthy conversation with you and the same is true with friends and other people like if nobody has time to even listen to you why are you even associating yourself with that person you know if they don't have enough time to even listen to your needs your wants what are what's going on in your life you know that's a huge um distinguisher of good people and people who are not so good is their ability to listen to you and care about what you what you're saying yeah yeah I, uh, that really resonates uh, with me because i think that that's what we all want. We are, we want to know that the other person at least just cares because then I think like you were saying, you feel like you can build that trust and mm -hmm. you can, um, you can be sure that it is, they're acting in your best interest mm -hmm. and not mm -hmm. in their best interest because, you know, it's the way that it works. Obviously one is going to help the other, but you know, it still needs to be focused on the person and, and what they want for their family and what they want for mm -hmm. the future. And I think that really speaks on that is, you know, listening to build trust and not just to get to some end goal, I think is really important. Um, 
Now, we obviously encourage people, if you have a financial planner that you work with, you know, please talk to them mm -hmm. about anything that you've heard that you have questions on or anything that you, um, that, that this may have inspired in you to, to look into getting a financial planner or maybe talking to your financial planner about different things or about, you know, the future of your, your finances and your wealth. And so, you know, we, we don't want people to, to just listen and then go out and do things on their own. You know, we always encourage people, yeah. you know, we're, we're a podcast that, that looks to connect, but we're not giving answers here. We're just asking people to, to talk mm -hmm. to people in their lives, to, to connect with them. And so we, we definitely encourage you to talk to someone uh, if you have a financial planner or if you want to look into one, obviously Sari is, is I'm sure willing to help you there. But, um, mm -hmm. but if you could give one sort of, maybe just one piece of advice that you think would help the most amount of people, I know it's kind of a big question, but mm -hmm. if, if there's one thing where you say, if, if I only got to say this one thing to you, what would you tell people, you know, that, that you think is the most important thing here? Okay. The most important thing is um, you should like take out a piece of paper and then write down your goals, especially your financial goals and kind of have it very, and take your time with it and kind of, um, you know, next month, next year, next five years, next 10 years, next 20 years. And then here's the difference is from the other, uh, what other people do is, you want to review it every single day, every single day in the morning when you first wake up. Um, that's your first step is to review your goals because the more you see your goals, the more likely you are to achieve them. It's back to the subconscious mind. The subconscious, you want to feed the subconscious mind all the positive things and let it take over from there because it, it's it's very powerful. And once you do that, once you re re um like we look at all your goals again every single day in the morning, especially everything you do during that day is going to revolve around reaching your goals and only reaching your goals. You start to filter out people. You start to filter out um, opportunities that come your way. You start to filter out your time. Everything you do revolves around getting to your goals when you do it that way instead of, and you have to do it every single day. And of course you're going to have to revise them. It's, it's going to straight. And that's good though. As long as you have your eye on, the target and you're changing it, um, what you can measure, you can control. So if you have the ability to always see where your goals are, where you're at and how far you are to get there, you're very likely to get there. So understand your goals and document them every single day and review them every day and you'll get them. You'll, you'll very high probability that you'll get to your goals if you have the ability to constantly review them um, and look them over. And we could actually help you do that. If you reach out to us, we can help you do kind of um, uh, a goal analysis or an objective analysis where we're helping you identify what your goals are. Yeah, you've given us two things that I think are really, really interesting and I, I want to make sure that people hear them is, uh, number one, we were talking earlier about adversity as a resource, mm -hmm. using your adversity to uh, to propel you to the future, to to inspire you, to to reach for those goals and then the second thing is um the one that you just shared with us and what you can measure you can achieve i think that or you can control so what you what you can measure you can control i think that's really important because it's it's impossible to 
reach a goal that doesn't exist. You know, mm -hmm. and you, mm -hmm. you just you can't do that because there's so many opportunities, there's so many distractions out there that I think it, you know, having a set goal, having an understanding of what it takes, uh, you know, just like you were saying, writing it out and, and being able to look at it and being able to, to, you know, kind of take that as a mantra almost, I think is really mm -hmm. important. And so um, making sure that people hear those to adversity as a resource and then what you can measure, you can control. Um, I think those are two really good takeaways from what you've shared with us today. I mean, there's, there's a lot, but I think those two for me really mm -hmm. stick out. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think that's great. Um, we are running out of time here. And so before we go, I do want to make sure that we um, are able to have people connect with you if they choose. Again, mm -hmm. you know, if you have a financial planner in your life, that's, that's awesome. And, and you can connect with them if you have questions. But if you don't have one, if you want more information, you know, we definitely make, we definitely encourage you to, to talk to a financial professional before you make any financial decisions. And so certainly, Sarah, your services are available to people. So let's share with people how they can connect with you, where they can find you, or where they can learn more about you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they can go to our website. It's finassetprotection.com, F-I-N, assetprotection.com. Uh, you can uh, I'll send you a free copy of the book Becoming Your Own Banker by Nelson Nash if you're interested in it. Um, you can also connect with me on LinkedIn, Sari Ibrahim. Um, it's it, there's a LinkedIn connection from the finassetprotection.com website. So it's a, I'm all, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So if you'd like to connect with me, connect me, connect me there, that'll be good. Yeah, and we'll definitely link all of your social media and and everything. Um, mm -hmm. All the ways to find you, we'll link to the episode and we'll link it to the posts that we um, that we do to promote the episode. And so make sure you you check out the website. Our website is bridgingchicago.com or you can um, look at any of our social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. Um, and, and we'll make sure to, to connect series information to that. And so... Uh, I want to thank you for your time today. It's been really, really uh, good. And I think I've learned a lot. Um, and I just, I feel like, uh, you know, there are people out there who care about both like making wealth and then, you know, caring for your family and, and protecting your future. And so uh, I really appreciate you sharing. And um, and I hope that people are inspired to, to talk to someone about their goals and to, to write those down and, and to you know, really focus mm -hmm. in on, on making those goals happen because I think I've, I've, because of the podcast, I've had the opportunity to talk to so many people who are doing really inspiring things that kind of like what you shared, they, they aren't any more special than anyone else in the way of like, they're mm -hmm. not millionaires. They didn't come from millionaire families. They didn't, you know, mm -hmm. they don't have this, you know, handed down wealth, but they kind of said, I'm going to do what I can and I'm going to do what, you know, works for me. And they just kind of went from there. And so I really appreciate you, um, you sharing that. And, uh, and I, I really appreciate being able to connect with people like you and, and the others who have come on here. Oh, thank um, you. Cause I think we all learn a lot from each other and, uh, and that's our goal here is just to help mm -hmm. people learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. I look forward to probably coming back on the show or having you on my show for sure. Thank yeah. you for having me on. Absolutely. 
Well, we want to thank our listeners. We obviously really appreciate you. And so, you know, you're listening to this likely either on YouTube, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We're on a lot of them, Stitcher, SoundCloud as well. Uh, anywhere where you are listening to this podcast, we'd appreciate it if you'd like, subscribe, leave a comment, or give thoughts on what you thought about the episode. And we uh, certainly appreciate that. So uh, we look forward to seeing you again next week. But uh, Thanks for listening to this episode of the Bridging Chicago podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bridging Chicago as produced by the SATC Solutions Center. Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guest. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. Furthermore, the opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of SATC Solution Center, SATC Law, or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the hosts and guests' individual capacities. All opinions on this podcast are or have been rendered based on specific facts under certain conditions and are subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including but not limited to or use in or in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceedings.